there hadn't been a darkness, I would have never seen the light. I wouldn't long for the sunrise if it wasn't for the night. If there hadn't been a father who made a way when there was none, I'd still be a dead man if it wasn't for his son. There hadn't been a grave, there hadn't been a cross, my heart would still be buried and my soul would still be lost. There hadn't been a savior who died to make a way, I'd still be a dead man if there hadn't been a grave. If it wasn't for the breaking, I would never know the mend, oh, I wouldn't know the sweetness of freedom if I didn't know my sin. If there hadn't been forgiveness, that covered all my shame. Oh, I'd still be a debtor if he didn't take my place. If there hadn't been a grave, if there hadn't been a cross, my heart would still be buried and my soul would still be lost. If there hadn't been a Savior who died to make a way, I'd still be a dead man if there hadn't been a grave. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He is risen, he is risen from the grave. Hallelujah, no more darkness, no more shame. Oh, there hadn't been a grave if there hadn't been a cross. My heart would still be buried and my soul would still be lost. There hadn't been a Savior who rolled the stone away. I'd still be a dead man if there hadn't been a grave, if there hadn't been a cross. My heart would still be heavy, and my soul would still be lost. If there hadn't been a Savior who rolled the stone away, I'd still be a dead man. If there hadn't left the grave, oh, I'd still be a dead man. If he hadn't left that grave, oh, I'd still be a dead man. If there hadn't been a grave. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's exactly right, isn't it? And it couldn't just be any grave, but Jesus' grave. If you have your Bibles this morning, please take them and turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to read verses 28 through 32 this morning as we um, to end our series. This will be the last, um, 
the, the last sermon, I think, in our series on revealing reactions, how our reactions to mistreatment, criticism, unfairness, disappointments um, reveal something. It's supposed to reveal someone. It's supposed to reveal uh, to the world watching uh, Jesus and how Jesus is and how Jesus treats us. Sometimes it reveals to us uh, the sinfulness of our own heart, right? Uh, by the way, uh, please pray for Robert tonight. I want him to, to save this um, for our Facebook Live folks because they don't get to hear us talk about Robert, the jail ministry. And so while uh, Robert, Dorothy, Jennifer, and Amanda are going to the jail tonight, uh, just a reminder for our Facebook Live people, it's not that I forgot or anything like that. So anyway, y'all pray for Robert and Dorothy, Jennifer, and Amanda. Amanda speaking at the jail tonight. Pray for those guys as they go minister there. All right. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 8, our last series on revealing, our last sermon on revealing reactions. And uh, we're going to talk about, about two big resources so we can react like Jesus. Two big resources for us, all right? Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Well, we've all seen people overreact, haven't we? Somebody overreacts, it causes you to kind of stop, stare, wonder what in the world's going on. And probably, if I had to make my guess, a couple of you have seen people overreact at youth sports events. Can I have an amen? <laughs> I read a story, true story, uh, it wasn't that long ago. 11-year-old Matthew Migliacio was catching, he was warming up the pitcher. The moment before the game, they were kind of over on the side, and he was the catcher warming up the pitcher. And um, when the pitcher threw the ball to him, he, had, you know, he lobs it back. One, one lob back, he kind of underestimated his own strength. He overthrew the pitcher, and he hit a lady sitting nearby, Elizabeth Lloyd. Hit her in the face. And uh, uh, Matthew immediately ran over to her, apologized, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, um, you know, I, that kind of a, just extremely apologetic. And she said, don't worry about it, these things happen, you know, I'm at a baseball game, got to expect, you know, balls are being thrown around, got to expect that to happen. Well, seemingly Elizabeth changed her mind uh, a couple of weeks later when she began to write threatening letters to 11-year-old Matthew. Um, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she just likes blowing off steam like most of us by writing threatening letters to 11-year-olds. But anyway, they didn't stop there. Uh, after a couple of months, she filed suit against Matthew, uh, saying that he tormented her, assaulted her, and wanted $500,000 in damages. That'd be a cool half a million dollars against an 11-year-old. <laughs> Somebody say overreact. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit overreacting, right? So what did Jesus teach us? Jesus taught us that when we have um, unfair criticism, unfair treatment, disappointment, um, these betrayal, people you know, talk, tell stories about you, that we are to react in a way that shows people how he treats 
us, okay? We're to react in a way that shows people how Jesus uh, treats us. Uh, somewhere, somehow, we, we are learning, we're learning, guys, that our reactions to mistreatment, to criticism, disappointment, unfairness are an opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. To reveal how good God is. We don't usually see it that way. We see it as an opportunity to what? Get mad, get even, get blown up, sue an 11-year-old, whatever it may be. But the truth is, when somebody disturbs you, perturbs you, upsets you, gets on your nerves, let me just ask a question for a moment. And, and so don't say this out loud so you can be honest, not do the church reaction. What's your normal reaction to criticism? What's your normal reaction when you're mistreated, when things don't go your way, when you're disappointed, when people maybe get on your nerves a little bit? What's your normal reaction? And compare that to what would a Jesus reaction look like? I mean, what would, what, how would Jesus react in your situation, your shoes, and your particular situation? Because, as we, some of us saw in Sunday school this morning, uh, the Father sent Jesus to be his representative, and Jesus sent us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be his representative. Part of being ambassadors for Christ are our reactions and our, what Andy Stanley calls our over-under reaction. When people expect you to overreact, they expect you to get even, bad mouth, broadcast, talk bad about them, an eye for an eye kind of, people that kind of expect you, you should be angry, you should be bitter, and then when you don't, when you forgive and you serve, they look at you and they're like, what? You did what? You, you forgave them? You, you served them? You helped them, you should be bad-mouthing and broadcasting all that stuff, but, but you actually showed up for them? And it's our opportunity to say, well, Jesus showed up for me. Can somebody say, thank you, Lord? You see, our reactions reflect our God. The turn the other cheek, the go the extra mile, the love your enemies, to pray for those who bless you. Uh, this is fundamental Christianity. This is one of the core parts of Jesus' teaching, and it's how Jesus lived. Remember last week in 1 Peter, uh, we, we looked at 1 Peter 2.23. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Think about that. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get even. He didn't lash back. I mean, this is how Jesus lived. In fact, uh, I was reading a survey just the other day. In fact, it came on my email last night. And in the survey, it talks about how people feel toward Christian denominations. And uh, they don't feel very good about us actually. And the thing that broke my heart was, while people are seeing Christians more and more as unfavorable, the two denominations in particular that were rated as unfavorable among, among, among the world were Pentecostals and Southern Baptists. We did rank ahead of Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, and Satanists. But Mormons, Catholics, Anglicans, Methodists, Presbyterians are all ranking higher than, than we are. And when the reasons given, a lot of the reasons are uh, 
Part of it is our political involvement. Part of it is racism. Part of it is sexism. Part of it is covering up abuse. And some of that is deserved. Some of that's deserved. Not all of it's deserved. Some people are going to see, you know, the, the cross, the message of the cross is offensive, right? But I don't think that all of that negativity toward us is because we've done really well at turning the other cheek. And we've done really well at going the extra mile. And we've done really well at loving our enemies. And we've done really, really well at praying for those who persecute us. Guys, we've got to get this right. We can't just keep blasting off at people and, 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 and haranguing people and acting like we've lost our minds when things don't go our way or somebody disagrees with us or we get criticized or we get treated unfairly. The whole point of the cross is that Christ died when he was treated unfairly for us out of love. So a, and it's hard, right? It's really hard. The other day, Laura was going to town and she said, um, if you need anything from town, text me what you need. She said, I'm going to the store. And so I texted her what we, what some things that I particularly, like milk, so I can have something to eat with my, drink with my sweets at night, uh, milk and some things that I typically eat for lunch. And um, later than that, a little bit later, I, I got a picture texted to me I thought she would like, so I texted her that picture. And then I remembered that the dog needs a, wa a new water bowl, so I texted her to, to pick up a water bowl for Maymay. And um, so that night when I went to get my milk, I said, um, no milk in here. And uh, I said, did you get some milk? She said, no, I didn't know you needed any. I said, well, I texted it. She said, well, all you texted me is we need a new water bowl for Maymay, and I got that. I went, the one thing I couldn't care less about, really. <laughs> I said, um, didn't you get my text? And she said, no, I didn't get it. And in her mind, what she meant was she didn't see it. In my mind, what she meant was you didn't send it. And so I said, okay, you know, it's not, not that big a deal, right? About 10 minutes later, that's all I could do, guys. This is embarrassing. <laughs> it's all I could do not to say, why don't you check your phone and see if that text went through? <laughs> Just go ahead and check it. I didn't say it. I didn't say it, okay? Uh, about 15 or 20 minutes later, it was even stronger. Just go ahead and check your phone. I think I sent it. I didn't say it. I, didn't, I wanted to say it, but I didn't say it. And the worst part of it was uh, about a half hour later, her phone's laying there between us on the ground. I just pick it up and look for myself. She said, she's going to see me. And I did think, i wait till she goes to the bathroom, and then I'll look. Then I'll look. And I, I never looked, okay? I never looked. I never looked. But I feel bad about it enough I need to tell you all about it. But what I'm saying is, if I'm that petty over something that small, how do I turn the other cheek when I'm mistreated? When it's done intentionally, okay? What I'm trying to show you is, our flesh, we can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. I need help with it. I need to cry out to God and say, help me respond like Jesus. Because there's something more important than proving I'm right. And there's something more important than getting back at somebody that did me wrong. And that's honoring Christ. So look, if you will, I'm talking about two things this morning. Number one, what we believe. Two ways uh, that God helps us to react in a Jesus follower way. And it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing takes the place of being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Because whatever is inside when we're mistreated is coming out, okay? Now, when the bad stuff comes out, that's a kindness of God, 
When somebody, re- if somebody mistreats you, criticizes you, and you retaliate in kind, God is showing you that you're not following Jesus at this moment. It's kindness of God. You can confess the sin and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, okay? But what we, listen, what we truly believe, not just what we say we believe. We all say we believe the Bible. Most of us here would say we believe the Bible. But what we truly believe in our hearts about God and about relationships and about how life works and about how we react to life and about the unfairness of life and about the hurt that comes our ways in life. And we can, we can look at people in the Bible. We can look at Peter. We can look at Jesus. We can look at Paul. In fact, we're going to look at that. We looked at Peter last week. We're going to look at Paul this week. Might look at Mary next week. No, I'm just kidding. Some of y'all, there used to be a singing group called Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? So, no, I'm going to go, no, this is the last song. But we looked at Peter last week. Look at Paul this week. Now, Paul had a lot of experience with being treated unfairly. Paul had a lot of experience with criticism, a lot of experience with disappointment. I mean, he's, he's really, really experienced this. And so there was something that Paul had, a core belief that was big in Paul's life. He couldn't have done it, I don't think, without this. And I don't just see what it is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Look at what he says. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, notice what he does not say. Okay, what what he does not say. He does not say all things are good. He does not say all things are going to be good for everybody. He does not say everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out like you wanted it to. It doesn't say that. Not all things, sickness is not good. Death for unbelievers is not good. Violence is not good. Crime is not good. When somebody's baby dies, that's not good. Divorce is not good. Suicide is not good. A lot of things in this life, sin is not good. Okay, there's a lot of things that aren't good. Does it say that? Look, if you will, to the New Living Translation. Look at what it says. And we know that God causes. Everybody say God causes. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Look what it says. Not that all things are good. He's saying that God will cause all things to work together. For good. God can mix it up to work together for your good. Not all things in Paul's life are good. He said, I, it's very tempting when I say all things work together for good. You're like, man, you don't know my all things. <laughs> if you knew my all things, you wouldn't say that about my all things. Well, Paul had some all things. Paul had a lot of really hurtful and critical things said about him. Paul had a lot of things where people misjudged his heart. Paul was jailed. Now, one time in Acts, Paul's jail is kind of like a rented house where they had guards watching him. Uh, Probably his last jail before he died was in a building, and it was in a hole under the ground. That's probably where he was the other time. He was beaten with rods. He was flogged. He was run out of town, stoned, and left for dead, shipwrecked. Swims to shore in, in, the, in his, I mean, you know, in an extra mile kind of a thing. He's gathering wood for the fire and gets bit by a poisonous snake. At that point, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> Sorry. Give a man a break. Can a, can a guy not catch a break here? And Paul says, those are some of his all things. God causes all things to work together for good to those 
who love him. Now, you have to write, you have to understand, what is the good? The good is not that you'll be happy. The good is not that you'll be healthy. The good is not that you'll be wealthy. Look at verse 29. He tells us what the good is. For God knew that his people, God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you see what he says? He says he's going to work it all together for good that we can be like Jesus. Okay? Now, if that is your heart and that's what you want, then God can use everything to work together for your good. And that's kind of what it means when it says he works together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. To those who want God's will, who want God's purpose in his life. So, if my desire in life is to honor God by becoming like Christ, I can say thank you to every situation. Every situation. Because I can say, thank you, God, that you're going to use this to make me more like Jesus. I may not like it. It may be very uncomfortable. It may not be good for your career. It may not be good for your savings. It may not be good for your health. But in everything, see, it's, it's, it's a heart check. This is not just for people who, uh, who say a prayer once in a while. This is not just for people who are, think church is kind of fun, interesting to go to. This is for Jesus followers. So people who really want to see God's will above everything else in their life. And so everything that happens, everything that comes your way, you can say, and this is how you demonstrate faith. You can say, thank you, God. You're using this to make me more like Jesus. Now, you can also say, Lord, I'd like for it to go away. <laughs> I'd like to be delivered from this. I pray for, you know, for, for, for freedom from this kind of a thing. But in the middle of it, you know that God has not left you. And God is at work in you and for you. Philippians 1, 12 to 18, um, 12 and 18, Paul talks about it a little bit. When he, in Philippi, he was jailed, okay? Beaten, jailed, put in jail, hard time. His, his, his feet are locked up in stocks. And uh, this is what he says now. To, he writes to the Philippians, the people that, the, the town where he was put in jail, put in stocks. Uh, probably some kind of wood chains kind of stuff locked around his legs where he can't move around. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on and talks about some people talking bad about me. They're preaching the gospel out of jealousy. Some of them doing it to hurt my feelings. You know, I'm being mistreated here. But what does he say? Well, what does it matter? It doesn't matter if they're trying to hurt my feelings. The important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, because Christ is preached, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. And Paul can say this with authority because when he was jailed, him and Silas at midnight are praying and worshiping God. The God sends an earthquake and the jailer ends up getting saved. And so Paul says that this was a terrible situation, but God worked it together for good because a jailer got saved that couldn't get saved any other way. I read a letter from a guy years ago who was in prison. He wrote a guy named Ray Pritchard. Ray Pritchard uh, was one of Chuck Swindoll's mentors. It's been a few years ago. And uh, Ray Pritchard wrote a book. Um, and the book was called An Anchor for the Soul. An Anchor for the Soul. And so this guy uh, wrote... I wrote Ray Pritchard. This is what he said. He said, I have some good news. This is not so good news that I'd like to share with you. First of all, the not so good news. This is not my first time, second time, or my fifth time, but around my tenth time in county jail. That's not so good news, right? I've been to prison three times. 
I was released with parole two years ago. A year went by, and I was again arrested and charged with burglary. So here I am, charged with bur burglary, on parole for burglary. My entire life is burglary. <laughs> it's said five arrests, to be exact. I am sure you would say to me that I need to change careers. Anybody say amen? <laughs> Probably so. It's a bad career, and he's not very good at it. <laughs> okay, so he needs to change careers. I'm looking at six to 30 years prison time. Now the good news. My cellmate, Charles, offered me a book that I read. The book is titled An Anchor for the Soul that you wrote. He said, I read that book. I read it from front to back. And he said, as I read that book, I heard the knock on the door of my heart. And y'all know what that is, right? Jesus knocking on the door of his heart. He said, I heard the knock on the door of my heart. I went to the door, and I finally opened it. He said, I wake up every morning now, and I pray. And I go to bed at night every day with a prayer. He said, I know I'm going to be distracted by the devil, and I love what this said, and conflicts will arise, especially when things are going smooth. I don't know how many days in prison things go smooth. <laughs> but anyway, he's got that going on for him. To end my letter, I cannot say thank you enough for sharing the knowledge and encouragement to seek God. I believe your book will have a great impact on the rest of my life as I continue to open the door and allow Christ to rule and reign in my heart. I think that um, I will never, ever have to be locked up physically or spiritually ever again as long as I do that's the good news. Prison is not good. Burglary is not good. But God can cause it to work together for good because it's better to be in prison and saved and free from your sin and free from an eternity without Christ than to be outside and be lost eternally. Can I get an amen? All right, second thing. First thing is what we believe. Second thing is what we say. Watch what happens here. What we say to ourselves often has a powerful impact on our life. You, in fact, I saw a book the other day, a guy named Daniel Amen, who's a Christian, um, a Christian um, um, brain guy. What's the brain guy called? Neurologist. Christian neurologist. Yeah. And so um, he's done a lot of stuff for Christians about how to, to heal your emotions and, and how to, to think right. And he wrote a book called Your Brain Hears Everything You Say. <laughs> and it does. Your voice is heard in your brain and it has a great impact on your life as so many times when there's disappointment and mistreatment and criticism and, and things don't go our way and it's not fair. Well, a lot of times we say things like what? Now, maybe you don't, but I tend to say things like what? That's just great. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. I, I can't believe this is happening to me. I, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Give me a break. I know none of y'all Y'all always say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is working out for my good. That's the kind of things we're saying. You might say some other things, but I'm trying to keep this G-rated, so we'll, go, we'll not go to some of those things, right? Look at Romans 8.31, and we'll see what Paul said. What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who could be against us? That's pretty powerful something to say, isn't it? If God is for us, who could be against us? So let's all just say that part of it together. Would you say that with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, let's do it one more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? So that's your weekly growth suggestion to try to speak this promise from God to yourself often this week. And here's the thing. 
I want you and me to try to remember to say this to criticism, to say this to disappointment, to say this to unfairness, to say this to unmet expectations, to say this to the things that go wrong in our life and we're tempted to say, I can't believe this is happening, this is terrible, this is awful, while me, to say, if God is for me right now, who can be against me? Maybe you've had a disappointment. Maybe you've had a heartache. Maybe you've got a prodigal child to run away from the Lord, far away from God. Maybe you have a child at home that you wish you could run away from for a couple of weeks. Maybe you wish you could run away for a couple of months. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever your situation is, can you say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, if you've got a major disappointment, major issue in your family, major issue with your health, things like that, it's kind of hard to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, how can you say that? What right, how, I mean, what foundation do you have to be able to say that? Well, you have the next verse. Isn't that great that Paul put it? The next verse is our foundation. Look at Romans 8.32 in the New International Version. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How do we know God is for us? The cross. You go back to the cross, and in the cross, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we see that he is for us. He is for your eternal good. He is about working your good and all. I mean, the cross is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to human history because God came in the flesh. That can ever, that never, that's, Jesus is the only one who can do that. No, that can never happen again. And he got mistreated and crucified. He's the only one that was perfect love. And he got put to death for it. You can't have more, uh, a worse travesty of justice than that. It's the worst it can be. And in that, God provided for us salvation. And all of God's goodness all of God's promises and all of God's uh, desires for you are caught up in the cross. How will you not along with him give us all things? What? All, all the things promised to us by God. Not all things. All things promised to us by God. Several of those that are in Romans chapter 8. All things includes what? No condemnation for those in Christ, right? All things mean we can set our minds on the spirit and have life. We don't have to set our mind on the, on the flesh and have death. We have the, the, the adoption by God where we cry out, Abba, Father. What is that? The closeness, the very closeness of a parent-child relationship. We have no separation from his love. We have strength in our time of need. You see, Romans 8.28 combined with Romans 8.31 and 32, you put, this, you put this passage together and what do you get? You get the fact that God ultimately controls outcomes. Think about it. Who or what can ultimately win against you? If God's working all things together for your good, which is to be like Jesus, and God is for you in the cross, and if God's for you, who can be against you? If you can believe and say those things, then you can trust God with the ultimate outcomes of your life. It's what Paul did. It's what Paul did. When all this junk's going wrong in Paul's life, he said what? I know God's working for my good. I know God's for me. He showed it to me in the cross. 
He showed it to me on the cross. Now think about this. We're drawing this thing to an end now. Think about this. What kind of God are we revealing to the world when we're mistreated? Because you see, here's the thing. The cross tells us that God reacted to your sin and mine not in like kind. He did not react to us in the way we acted toward him. Let me say what I'm saying. When we sinned against God, he responded by dying. Everybody say dying. Dying for that sin. When we failed God, he responded by dying for that failure. When we broke our promises to God, God responded by dying for that broken promise. Those secret sins that we've got shoved off to the side that we don't want God messing with and we don't want God to know about. God responds. I mean, we know he knows about it and we know about it, but somehow we kind of pretend it's all not going on. God responded for dying for that. The shame that you feel in your life, maybe it's shame because of something somebody did for you. Maybe it's shame because you feel like you disappointed God or something. God died for that. He responded. When you mistreated others, See, we've been focusing on the mistreatment people have gone come our way. We've all mistreated somebody else at some time or another, right? How did God respond to your mistreatment of other people? He absolutely died for it. Can somebody say thank you, Lord? You see, if God is for me, you can't ultimately win against me. God is for you. People that you that mistreat you, the people that come against you, the people that, that, that lie about you, the people that, that, that are hard on you, the people that get on your nerves, they cannot ultimately win against you if God's for you. Especially when you react like God wants you to react, turn the other cheek, pray for those who bless you, love your enemies, go the extra mile. And I know some people may be thinking, preacher, that works well at church, but that don't work in the real world. I don't know how often they let you out. <laughs> so you get out in the real world, this kind of thing, you know, you probably live here at the church, right? And this all works good in church. This don't work in the real world. Well, let, play a game with me for a minute. Let's just pretend that's true. And so let's just twist the words around just a little bit. Peter says what? Jesus entrusted himself to God who judges rightly. This doesn't work, then just entrust yourself to yourself. Carry it yourself. Um, if you don't think turning the other cheek works real well, then just live a life of revenge. Be bitter and angry. See how that goes. Peter in, this, in the same book said, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Why? Because you can, you can entrust him who died for you. If you don't believe that, then cast all your cares upon yourself. Or you can twist Jesus' words. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be given to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. So just worry about it. List, list out a whole lot of things. Just worry yourself to death over it. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, if you will live responsibly before me, I'll take responsibility for you. But here's the invitation as we close. If you're tired of carrying it yourself, worn out, you're tired of keeping tabs on somebody, tired of trying to get back you're tired of trying to you know tell them what for you know, aren't you glad aren't you glad that when we sinned against Jesus he didn't say I'm gonna tell my daddy on you <laughs> could have right It'd be bad right aren't you glad that it's all right all right you gonna be that way 
You know how you're not taught, right? You're going to be that way? I'll show you. Guess what I'm going to do. Aren't you, so, so, we don't want, so if you're tired of doing that, you're tired of carrying it yourself, trying to work it all out, trying to manage your own outcomes, trying to make life work the way you want it to work. If you burn out on doing it yourself and you're ready for something different, you have a standing invitation from Jesus. Here it is, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, everybody say it. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke means the, your, his way of life. Yoke is way of life. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Yes, the only time Jesus tells us what his heart's like, and it's gentle and humble. And you will find, everybody say it, rest for your souls. For my yoke, my way of life is easy. My burden is light compared to, now that means easy to follow, compared to doing it by yourself. Compared to doing it by yourself. So your reaction to mistreatment criticism, being treated unfairly, disappointments, unmet expectations, may be the best opportunity we have to influence the world for Jesus. Let's get it right. Amen? Let's get it right. Stand with you, will, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the truth is, we often say actions speak louder than words, but uh, our, react, our reactions often speak louder than words. Often it's our reactions that speak louder than words. So to the, this morning, this morning, if you're tired of managing it all on your own, can you come to Jesus and say, yes, Lord. I'm tired of trying to correct everything, trying to wage war against the world. I'm tired of putting people in their place. I'm tired of getting mad about things all the time. I'm tired of trying to get even with people. Lord, it seems weak and it seems passive. But, it, man, when I look at you on the cross, I know that's not weak and that's not passive. And the resurrection surely wasn't. And so I trust you. I put my hands in a God who died for me and rose from the dead. Put my life in your hands. And I come to you to obey you, saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be like you. I want all things to work together to make me more like Jesus. And I'm going to say thank you this week to all things that make me like Jesus. And, Lord, I trust, trust, really, really trust that you will give me rest in my soul. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, Lisa plays softly.